Network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife. Save the environment. Save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. Did you ever wonder what tigers, sports, and students could have in common? For most wildlife species we seek to protect and conserve today, efforts need to include the public and be more about the, the be more than about the simple aesthetic beauty of the animal we seek to protect. Picture now schools, their sports teams, and their mascots. Today, our guests are two key members of the Tigers for Tigers Coalition. Our guests, Sean Carnell, a graduate of Clemson University and now working full-time for the National Tigers for Tigers Coalition, and that is the NT4TC acronym. And our other guest is ecologist Dr. David Tonkin, the advisor for the Clemson University Tigers for Tigers uh, Charter or Member Club. So we have the NT4TC and the T4T, and we'll explain a little bit more about that as we get into the show. Both these gentlemen have been instrumental in bringing the Tigers for Tigers Coalition into the national eye, and since uh, the Clemson T4T Club was uh, started in 1997. The National Tigers for Tigers Coalition is devoted to improving the status of tigers, both captive and wild, through the collaboration of students attending tiger mascot schools across the country. Uh, and T4T aims to mobilize the public through education and to improve and or create relevant policies that take direct action to ensure the survival of the tiger, both in captivity and in the wild. And for our listeners today, we've provided several links on the guest bio pages where you can engage and learn more about Tigers for Tigers. Their website is t4tcoalition.com. So, we're going to jump right in, and I'd like to say welcome, Sean and David. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure to have you here. So, um, why don't we jump in, and Sean, why don't you tell us just a little bit more about the background of T4T, how you got bit by the Save the Tiger bug, and how this translates into the vision of the National Council. Absolutely. Well, if... if I'm a recent graduate of Clemson University, and if you've ever been to Clemson or to LSU or Auburn, there's a real affinity that students and faculty have for their mascot, whether it's on the football field, um, the athletic gear that people wear, also just walking around within the community. There's such an affinity for tigers. 
And as an animal lover growing up, you know, I've always had this interest in conservation. And before I came to Clemson, I noticed they had a club called Tigers for Tigers, which is to improve the status of tigers um, and getting students actively involved in tiger conservation through, through academics, but also to uh, educate the public and community here as well. And, and through that organization and, and going through the club at Clemson University, uh, we noticed there's a variety of other tiger mascot schools across the country as well, and I named some of them earlier there. And there are also other subgroups of Tigers for Tigers as well, but we weren't necessarily all connected. Um, and fortunately, uh, through Clemson, there was a unique opportunity to travel to India, which I'm sure Dr. Tonkin will talk about a little bit later in the show, um, to where we could actually see tigers in the wild. And on that trip, uh, a variety of us students had a really unique experience seeing tigers, and we came back and said, Let's do something about it. Let's find a way to connect these student groups across the country, um, utilizing the affinity that we really have for our mascot um, and, and joining together for conservation efforts. And so from there, uh, we had a summit at Clemson University uh, bringing together some of these student groups uh, for tiger conservation, and that's when we really noticed that it wasn't just you know, students here at Clemson at, in, in at University of Missouri and LSU and Trinity that were really involved. Um, there's lots of other students that are really passionate about the cause, and, and that's when we really started to uh, form the National Tigers for Tigers Coalition. That's great. So let's jump over to, to you, Dr. Tonkin. And may I call you David, please? Absolutely. All right. That's a little easier to um, <laughs> spit out when we're, we're moving along. So, um, Evident, you started, uh, or you were an advisor. How did T4T get started at Clemson, and where do you fit into that picture? Well, there. Are, uh, first, I should say that there are lots of Tiger schools at over fifty, as Sean mentioned, and and I suspect that there have been student groups at many of them over the years that have worked for Tigers. I know my own class of 1976 at Princeton, the alumni in the early 90s started an initiative for tigers and i would point that out to the students here at clemson and say we need to do something uh, missouri has, had a, has a, a long-standing program um and we do and there are probably others that i don't know about but um at clemson what really started was a student uh, named con davidenko who was in the navy in thailand who encountered a tiger at a at a reserve and it was a life-changing event for him. I think the animal walked right up to him, and he was amazed and terrified and in awe, and he came back and said, you know, these animals are endangered, and no one at Clemson knows it. And he came to a club that I advise called Students for Environmental Awareness and looked for allies to start a program, and he found one in the president of the club named Takako Hashimoto, now Takako Sato, who still works with us. And um, they started a Tigers for Tigers initiative in 1997, in the spring of 98, they went to a global tiger conference in Dallas. They met the CEO of Exxon and uh, tiger researchers from uh, 17 range countries at the time. Now there were only 13. And, and that really started the movement. And uh, we've been organized ever since, since the fall of 97. And, you know, Sean joined us, I think, as a freshman and was immediately an officer and very passionate and um, led us to where we are now. So this is... This is an amazing accomplishment because I've been working in conservation for you know, cl close to 30 years. And one of the biggest problems in conservation is someone goes, like your student, and gets uh, meets, a, meets an animal uh, in the wild, 
I, I use the term meet, has an encounter, um, and comes back passionate, whether it be about a species or about an orphanage or about a health issue, and they start a um, nonprofit. But what I see that you've done, which is so fantastic, is that you are coordinating efforts that are already in place. That's that's quite a challenge. Can you tell us a little bit, maybe, Sean, this is, since you're the national coordinator, how you went about bringing these, I think Dr. Tonkin said there are 50 schools that have tigers as their mascots, and I believe somewhere in uh, the material I was reading about Tigers for Tigers, that you coordinated 11 of these, brought 11 of these schools together. Uh, Tell us a little bit how you managed to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, we had a summit here back in April, and, and the idea was to bring together these students, and we had a fabulous list of guest speakers that could attend the event, and they talked to us about um, the late Dr. Ron Tilson was with us. Um, we had people from IFAWT, uh Society of Conservation Biology, the National Wildlife Refuge Association, and others, and the idea was to bring these students together just to learn about conservation efforts and what we can do individually as students. Uh, so that was the basic, you know, nucleus of the conversation of, you know, look, we, you know, with the power of social media and the voices that we have as students right now um, and, and working together within the autonomy of each of the universities because all the universities have a variety of different resources academically with the connections that they have and research and, you know, other departments. We said, you know, look at what we can do if we can really connect together and build mass and momentum. Um, so from there, we took the existing clubs that we noticed across the country, which were at the time Trinity, LSU, University of Missouri, Clemson, um, and we brought them together and, and said, let's help these other schools get on board. So from there, we started developing a program um, to help students get involved and in, in utilizing the, the resources that they have at their own universities to start their own clubs. And from there, we've been, been working ever since through a steering committee nationally, and it's, it's been absolutely fantastic. This is incredible. Um, David, working in the academic institution, we all know how, I'm going to use the word bulky, it can get in terms of well, student movements and then getting the administration on board. So as an advisor um, and, and, and an ecologist and very involved in tiger conservation yourself, how, what was your role in helping pull this together on the institutional level? Um, well, uh <clears throat> Several things. One is that early on we uh, took a presentation on the on the Clemson Tigers for Tigers to the uh, university president, uh, President Jim Barker, and he was. It could not have been more supportive of our initiative. He, you know, the fact that it came from students, uh, I think, is probably was and probably still is the most important factor. You know, what I find is everywhere we go, if if you know we've you know, Sean can talk about trips to D.C. and talking to politicians, and we've talked to donors and administrators. And if I were to go talk to these people, they would, you know, make me wait in line. But when students show up and say they want to talk, people stand up and listen because it's sort of a new audience. Uh, uh, and it's a new group, and they have, as Sean hinted, amazing reach with social media. And, and it's just exciting to think about mobilizing students nationally. For conservation. So I, I have no trouble getting university administrators here excited, but the, the, the details of the coalition were that we actually had a class. We met for two years um, organizing this thing. When we got back from India, there were 11 students on the trip, and eight of them in the, the fall 
joined together with a few others, and we started working on this, uh, forming this coalition that took two years of work. We had tried in the past, and I believe the University of Missouri had tried in the past, and unsuccessfully because it's too much work just to do as a club activity. So we met weekly. This was a, a class, and uh, it, you know, we, we tracked down every school. We got contact names and information. We drafted letters. We talked to Tiger people. We you know, organized the entire conference and invited speakers and raised the money. It was a monumental task, and uh, but it's up and running, and, and Sean is coordinating the whole thing now and working full-time at it. So, excuse me, let me understand this so our listeners can understand, those of you out there who want to engage or begin uh, something along the lines of Tigers for Tigers, whether it's another species or uh, mobilizing students to activity. So, uh, David, you said this started out as an actual curriculum class, yes. and then it moved to extracurricular on the momentum of the students alone? Well, no, we formed a class. We have something at Clemson called Creative Inquiry. It's a, it's a new kind of course where students work in teams on some project. And so we formed a team to work on developing a national coalition and organizing and hosting the first conference. That's amazing. I, I can and tell it's been a long time since I've been in college. We had nothing, nothing like that. Uh, on offer. We just had the basic things. Uh, university and, and college level courses have grown tremendously and engaged much more uh, to relevant issues that are going on today, like getting involved in saving uh, wildlife and, and species in particular. Before we go too much further, um, we've talked a lot about the students and what the students are doing, and we're going to get into that in a little deeper. Uh, we've got a few minutes here. Uh, Dr. Tonkin, give us some, some tiger facts. Why it's important that students pull together and universities pull together and mascot teams pull together to save tigers. What's going on with tigers? Well, tigers are highly endangered. They, there are about 3,200 left and, in the wild, and, um, and they're really scattered in dozens of tiny populations. There are very few populations, more than 30 or 40 animals even, and these things can wink out of existence in a moment. We started going to India in 2004 with students to see tigers. In 2005, our guide was the owner of a lodge at Sariska Tiger Reserve in India who was newly freed of work because Sariska had been poached out of tigers that year. So his lodge was shut down. And, and in another, uh, another year or two later, another tiger reserve in India lost its last tiger. And so we've got dozens and dozens of, popul- of tiny populations of tigers in only a fraction of their historic range. You know, the, the tigers in Bali and Java, those subspecies are extinct. The Caspian tiger that reigns across Central Asia is extinct. The Chinese um, South China subspecies is, so far as we know, extinct in the wild, and there are only uh, 50 or so animals living in zoos, highly inbred. It's the last of that subspecies. Um, you know, maybe 14 to 1,700 in India, and that's the healthiest population. So our freshman class at Clemson is larger than the entire world population of wild tigers. So um, is the Siberian or the Russian tiger uh, involved in your given consideration in Tigers for Tigers? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I'm not sure how many, four to six hundred perhaps, that's relatively healthy but clearly vulnerable to poaching. 
So beyond the immense ecological value of so many of, of these vanishing species, and tigers included, which I hope you'll give us a little bit more information, uh, David, they're also deeply tied to societies through social, religious, and economic values. How does T4T, on the national level and the club level, connect what would seem to be opposing values on one level, but essentially connected uh, toward conservation of entire species? Uh, and I, I, I gathered that information from some of the background on T4T because you uh, not only work to conserve tigers in the wild, but also in captivity. And as you just said, these three species have gone extinct, which uh, poached out. So um, either Sean and or, or both of you, uh, give us a little background of these cultural and economic values and what the loss of tigers could mean. Dr. Tony, would you like to take that one? Uh, the first half? I, I guess I'll start. I mean, tigers yeah. are, you know, they're the largest cats on the planet. And, and people who live in areas with tigers who are villages, farmers, agriculturalists, they, that's part of their, their land. You know, it's part of their lives every day. And it seems natural that tigers are respected, feared, and even worshipped in many areas in Asia. And, you know, in, in the U.S., we have, uh, you, know, I could, you know, college sports teams that I think might be unique to this country, but, you know, most sports teams have animals as mascots, and we've chosen the tiger because it's magnificent and fierce and awesome and so on. And, you know, different people have different feelings about them. Um, but, you know, everyone here loves tigers, there's no question. And I think, you know, we've been told it's the most charismatic animal on the planet based on the number of searches. Um, but for different reasons. You know, it might be ethical, it might be moral, it might be ecological, aesthetic. Um, they're just magnificent animals. And, and no one, you know, wants to see these animals die or suffer, and this is why we're interested in saving them in the wild, and also making sure that those that are, that are in captivity are treated humanely and safely. Well, thank you. We're going to need to head into a short break right now, so hang with us. We're with Tigers for Tire, Tigers Coalition with uh, Sean Carnell and Dr. David Con- uh, Tonkin. I'm sorry, and stick with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. 
Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back. We're with uh, Sean Carnell and Dr. David Tonkin uh, with the National and Clemson University Tigers for Tigers Student Coalition. Right before the break, Dr. Tonkin uh, gave a rather expansive answer, uh, which brought up several points that I wanted to discuss. So the first of them that comes to my mind is that T4T supports wild tiger conservation, which is critical in, in light of everything we've talked about and this vanishing species. Uh, but we also have the zoo and captive component. So I'd like to learn a little bit more and for our audience how T4T goes about supporting and, and why the captive population. As Dr. Tonkin had said, many of these tigers in captivity get inbred and are therefore... It, it, to say an awful line, not valuable to cons- conserving the species in the wild. That doesn't mean these individuals aren't valuable for their own uh, being and of uh, you know being alive. But how do you distinguish? And uh, Dr. Tonkin, uh, the difference between uh, the zoo captivity versus, let's say, roadside attractions and people wanting tigers as pets. Well, the zoos long ago have have been very sensitive about um, their use of animals you know they you know the origin of zoos back in the 1800s or whatever was probably as menageries you know for entertainment circuses and so on and and it's been decades since um, the national and also the world zoo associations have committed themselves to conservation that is they realize that in order to justify holding animals from all over the world in captivity, there has to be a better reason than entertainment. And they are entirely committed to conservation um, and education. And you'll notice now in U.S. zoos, it's very hard to find generic animals. You know, those spaces are valuable. If there's, you know, space for a large cat, it's not going to hold a cougar. It's going to hold an endangered cat. And, uh, you know, the, probably a hundred or more species are managed very intensively for captive breeding purposes to maintain the genetic variation, the purity of these different subspecies and so on, as an arc. So if the species were to disappear in the wild, um, the zoos have populations that could reestablish them. And a number of species have been reestablished from zoos. So 
you know, the zoos hold these animals, but they spend, they have enormous resources and expertise and accreditation procedures and so on so that they, they are taking care of these animals safely and humanely and with a higher purpose. Now, that's different than the, the private owner who just loves tigers and or the person who is using tigers financially for tiger petting, tiger swimming, tiger photos, uh, and so on. There, it's a money-making operation. And, um, and you know, the more those tigers are used, the more money can be made, and that leads to all kinds of problems. Um, so that, they're two different, two different worlds, really. Yes, they are. So um, I had a great question in my mind, and I was listening to you, and it just up and disappeared. So how, how do we, as the, the public, uh, translate our love for saving tigers and with your excellent distinguished uh, d- uh, definition of what the zoos do, how can we justify keeping these animals in captivity? Um, roadside attractions aside, we all know that, that uh, that's going to get into policy, which is the next question I want to ask you that you're working on. Um, how do we justify keeping these species in captivity when we have so many more in captivity than there are in the wild. And you had said um, some species have been rewilded or reintroduced. If we don't have habitat and there is climate change and all these factors that are affecting the decline of the tiger, how do we go about ensuring there is a place for tigers from zoos, these pure lines, to be put back into the world so I guess my question is if we support captivity uh, are the funds better used for captivity or are they better used to support habitat in the wild I can I'll take that one Um, ideally uh, you know we would love to have you know populations only in the wild Um, aside from the roadside zoos there is extreme value within uh, you know zoos to conserve their species and things of that nature um, and in terms of funding, I think both are actually absolutely extremely valuable. Um, for here in the United States, for those of us who don't necessarily have opportunities to see tigers in the wild, uh, they do offer great educational opp- opportunities and for people to really connect with their affinity uh, for their love for that animal. Um, and I think in terms of the conservation effort, um, we really need to focus on sort of this landscape ecology and landscape conservation by, by preserving the forest um, and focusing much more on a broader scale to ensure that, you know, there is, you know, potential for, for habitat growth and to ensure that there would be uh, viable populations of tigers in the wild if they go extinct. Um, you know, I think, I guess, does that answer your question? Yeah, very well. Um, thank you. So this leads really well into policy. Uh, Tigers for Tigers not only physically uh, brings students and schools together to raise awareness and work toward tiger, tiger conservation, but you also say you're working on policy. So this addresses t- these two branches of conservation. One, working in the wild, as you had just said, forest preservation, but do you also work on policy that helps strengthen our own U.S. laws about keeping exotic animals in captivity? Whoever uh, would be best to answer that question, I'm throwing it out to both of you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we've also been working with the International Fund of Animal Welfare, and there's currently uh, two bills in Congress, one in the House and one in the Senate, called the Big Cats and Public Safety Protection Act. 
And if you look across a lot of the, the regulations across the United States, we really don't know how many captive tigers there are here in the U.S. And there's a patchwork on regulations in terms of ownership. Um, and so the idea of this bill is to ban the private ownership of exotic pets, um, big cats, uh, specifically with a variety of exemptions. Um, some circuses... Um, that are abide by, you know, the Animal Welfare Act and, and others. Um, you know, uh, academic universities are also exempt. Uh, classified sanctuaries and zoos are also exempt from that bill. And if we can place a ban on the private ownership of the United States, there, there wouldn't be any transfer. Um, there wouldn't be any cub petting because it's really an animal welfare issue. Um, you know, it's also a public safety concern for first officers who have to respond to uh, some of these critical situations where these, these cats are... Um, you know, uh, they, they either get out and, and harm an individual or there's potential um, that they do get loose. And so there's a variety of other things. So this bill sort of addresses that concern of the private ownership of the United States. And indirectly, it also influences the, the international side of conservation for tigers because um, if we have captive tigers here in the U.S., it's sort of hard to place uh, policy initiatives on, um, you know, potentially on China considering their their tiger farming efforts over there. So if we can address this concern here in the United States, we have a lot more leverage internationally, and it also allows us to focus more on international conservation. So I'd like our listeners to understand that over over all the discussions that our wild world has, we, we bring up um, these points and our, our guests and our experts. Uh, there are definite crossovers across species. Uh, so what Sean was just talking about also can relate to rhino and elephant in terms of the farming and industrialization for human need alone of our species versus their aesthetic and wild value in terms of ecology and ecosystem health. So how do you, how do you balance that in Tigers for Tigers? I think um, <clears throat> it's We'd like down the road to have more research opportunities for people to um, to get involved, but I think uh, addressing policy, I think, is a critical notion uh, for us in international conservation. I mean, there's a variety of other things that our student groups can do um, to influence policy as well, especially uh, at CITES. We can advise CITES um, to ensure, you know, there's proper international uh, regulations, whether or not they can reevaluate the uh, previous resolutions that they had on on Asian cats, um, there's another thing we can do with policy concerning the advisory council as well. There's just a, the advisory council on wildlife trafficking uh, just formed after President Obama's executive order. Um, and there's things that we can do there as well um, so that we can gather U.S. resources to uh, ensure um, proper international conservation efforts, not just for tigers but also for um, a variety of others of these endangered species. That's excellent. It's, it's great to hear. So um, I just... I'm going to go off on a little tangent. Uh, the majority of how many members are in the the T4T club at Clemson and it, across the National Tigers for T- Tigers uh, uh, Council? How I many members? Right, I believe Clemson has about thirty to thirty-five members right now, and we uh-huh. have eleven student groups across the country, which is about uh, one hundred eighty to two hundred people right now. Do you find that it tends to be more women involved, or do you find it to be a, more of a gender balance? Uh, predominantly, our, our gender is women, um, surprisingly. Um, you know, I don't know there's there's any correlation to that, um, but it's, predominantly I just women. find it... I find it curious because having worked in conservation for the last 30 years, in the field, 
most conservationists have always been men. Uh, what I notice coming up through the academic ranks today are a lot of young women. Perhaps it's because the courses are being offered now where they weren't before. Um, but I just noticed that, it, that there tends to be a gender bias when it comes to saving endangered species. Women seem to be more on top of this than men. And I find it a, a, a curious, a curious little, um, question. Uh, David, do you have, uh, any, inf- any, opinion or uh, comment about having been doing this since I think you said 1970 and the club since 1998 Uh, how do you go about engaging young men into the world of conservation and species survival I I don't know the answer to that question I I should say I have five uh, graduate students one one recently graduated and the others um, working now, and all five of them working on endangered species are women, and I don't know the reason. Um, and some of them are not are field biologists. Actually, most of them are working in the field. I don't know where this came from or what caused it. Um, I don't know what the motivation is. I, I find it interesting. So, to our listeners out there, whether you be male or female, boy or girl, man or woman. You can take your place and find out what you can do to uh, save species conservation, whether it be here in the U.S., working with sanctuary, uh, permitted sanctuary, good sanctuary or reserves or refuges, or field conservation. Let's talk a little about uh, your student trips to India, Dr. Tonkin. Uh, When did those start and uh, how did you... I'm sure you went to India before you started taking students, so tell us a little bit about that. Actually, I didn't. So we had this club, and uh, we were excited, and we went and talked to the president and said, here's an opportunity for students from many disciplines. You know, he, he said, oh, tiger conservation, that's, for bio, that's great for biology students. And we said, no, it's for health and education and marketing and economics and agriculture, everyone, because you have to conserve the communities, these these poor communities around the tiger parks have to buy in to tiger conservation or the tigers won't survive. And, and he said, well, I want, to, I want you to, <clears throat> this is great, I want students in Asia this summer <laughs> to learn about tiger conservation in the wild. That was about March, and Asia is a big place. And back in the early 90s, though, late 90s, it was a dangerous place. You know, a lot of countries, are they're still... Excuse me. You know, landmines in Cambodia and Maoist insurgency in Nepal, and and so on. And, and we're trying to think, where on earth can we go? And and we brought in a speaker, Dr. Ron Tilson, who is one of the leading authorities on tigers in the world. And he had studied tigers in Indonesia all his life, or all his professional life. And we asked him, and he said, I don't know, because he had trapped maybe 400 tigers for his research purposes in the Indonesian rainforest, but never actually seen one in the wild. And that fall, he went to India as a guest to receive a, an award for tiger conservation, and he traveled to central India to Kana and Bandhavgarh Tiger Reserves, and he saw tigers in the wild. And he sent us pictures of himself on an elephant with a tiger in the foreground and said, here's where you can go. And the next year we had the, the, this man, um, Pradeep Sankala, whose father, uh, Kaila Sankala, had been the founder and first director of Project Tiger in India. So we had Pradeep to Clemson as our next Tiger speaker for Earth Day, and the next year we went to India. Um, 
and the 17 students, and we just went blind, and we didn't know what to expect, and I was worried that, you know, we're going to be in open jeeps with tigers in the forest, and aren't they man-eaters? And, and Pradeep said, no, 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 they're fine, they're safe. And we had a fantastic experience, and we've gone nine years now. So one of the things students learn is, you know, the difference between the stereotype of what we think these wild animals are in terms of what they uh, present to us, strength, stealth, courage, uh, uh, power, and the reality of what the animal really is in the wild, uh, that it's not necessarily out to kill us. It just wants to do its thing. So that's an important thing for students to learn. Uh, do you, do the students, Sean and David, do the students, once they leave the university uh, uh, format, do they continue to advocate for tiger conservation? Uh, I, they do. And a lot of our alumni are, you know, still work with us and still support us. So it is to see a live tiger up close in the wild, and it's probably the same for lions and elephants. So on. it's it's a very powerful experience. And people are moved; they're they're shaken; they're in tears; they're thrilled. It's just you know, it's not the same as seeing one in a cage. And it, it some of the for some students, this trip to India is a life changing experience, and I'm sure Sean will say that it is, but he's not the only one. You know, they just realize that there's this world out there that's threatened and it's spectacular and it's precious and uh, they want to do something about it. It absolutely changes uh, the mindset once you go and see these animals or these habitats in the wild as opposed to just studying about the, uh, studying about them. It is a life-changing exper- experience. So do you think the, we've got a, about a minute until break, just a, a quick answer. Do you think that seeing these animals in a zoo, in an accredited institution, actually transfer, transfers and translates uh, the, th- from the ambassador, in, the captive ambassador in the zoo to protecting the species in the wild because they're so typically un- intangible in the wild. Do you think it actually translates? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I honestly think it does. Um, you know, growing up as a kid, I was always a big fan of zoos where I'd go with my parents, and I think that's what really developed my, my core appreciation for wildlife in general. I was never like a an outdoorsy guy. I was never the Boy Scout or anything, but I think just visiting zoos as a little kid alone really developed my appreciation for wildlife and specifically these, these bigger cats. So I do think they really do translate, and I think they still offer a variety of opportunities uh, for for individuals and the public to, to really become educated on the issues, um, the question is just acting upon it. Excellent. Well, we're going to head into another short break, and we'll be right back. Stay with us. We're with Sean Carnell and Dr. David Tonkin of Tigers for Tigers Coalition. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. 
Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back to Tigers for Tigers Coalition. Through the show, we've been talking about how T4T, uh, Dr. Tonkin and Sean are uh, gathering momentum between schools and students. Uh, and those schools and students usually have a sports team with a mascot. So we have a wonderful uh, guest who just joined in. Uh, I'd like to welcome Carrie Ross. And she is the wife of Dave Dombrowski, who is the president of the Detroit Tigers. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you, Allie. So um, you called in. So obviously you have a connection with Tigers and Tigers for Tigers Coalition. Uh, how does that work? Tell us what got you involved. Well, when we came to Detroit, it was a simple trip to the Detroit Zoo uh, that prompted me uh, to start you know, really thinking about tiger conservation because there was a huge poster up there. And... Lo and behold, I had no idea that tigers were in danger, and I think after speaking with people, a lot of people do not know that, and so I thought, I've got to do something about it. So I really started this little, small um, project with the Detroit Tigers called Pennies for Paws. It was during the really, you know, when the economy was really bad here in Detroit, and so I had this gigantic tiger bank made, and we set it outside in the um, Detroit Tigers Comerica Park. And so I just asked people to drop their pennies and their loose change, in the bank, and so that's how it really, really started. We, you know, we we, we probably raise about four thousand dollars a year just by people dropping their change in this gigantic tiger bank, and then um, we just teamed up the last year or two with Wildlife Without Borders, and that has just catapulted us 
into a hemisphere that's been fascinating and exciting. And so now we, the Detroit Tigers, are really behind this Tiger Stamp, Stamp Out Extension, which helps benefit not only the tigers, but rhinos, elephants, apes, and turtles. And um, the, the one reason I just love this project is because it's really warm and fuzzy, and in, in, in the world of politics today, you can't find too many things that are warm and fuzzy because it's bipartisan. It's supported by Democrats and Republicans. Since it was uh, signed on as a bill in, 19, in 2011, there's been um, probably more than 23 million, so last count it was almost 23 million. And uh, nine cents of a first-class stamp goes to uh, the um, you know, stamping out extinction for these five species. It's a beautiful stamp. It's an easy way to support conservation. And uh, the, the public has supported it because they voluntarily bought it. It's, there's no tax on it. There's, no, um, there's nothing really controversial about the stamp. Uh, so that is the reason we have gotten behind it. We, we made a trip to Capitol Hill, and um, a few of the sen- congressmen and senators showed up. And I've also spoken with my own Senator Levin and Senator Spavanel about And they co-sponsored the bill once they found out you know, that the Detroit Tigers were behind it and was such a good cause. So we're just so excited to be behind it. We just urge everybody to go out and buy this tiger stamp. So I'd like to reiter- I'd, I'd like to reiterate that. There is an extinction stamp that anyone can get. Mm-hmm. It's available at the United States Postal Service, correct? Yes. It costs yes. just a little bit more than your, t- your regular first-class mail stamp, but that yes. extra funding goes to support tiger conservation. Correct. Right? Okay, it is a beautiful stamp. I did get mine um, (laughs) at the uh, Ivory Crush in Denver, and I was Mm -hmm. in my local post office the other day, and unfortunately, they don't have it there. How does one get their post office to carry the extinction stamp? You you just have to ask, Ellie. We had that situation here as well, and we had a big push through the media, so all of our um, post offices started carrying it, and they sold out several times which is fabulous for, for, for us. But um, a lot of my friends that don't live in the Michigan area, I've told them about it, and they've gone to their post office, and they didn't carry it. You just ask them to get it, and they will get it in. Um, so it's just a matter of asking them and saying, we really want to support conservation. Can you please, please get this stamp in? So it's, it's pretty simple. And um, like I said, they've only they've sold more than $23 million and and, um, and today, with all of the cutbacks and everything with in Washington, um, involving conservation. This is an easy, easy way to support it. Well, thank you. And what I find so amazing about having the three of you together here on this show is that it highlights for our listeners the wide variety of people, backgrounds, and efforts that can be started from the grassroots level. You've got an idea, put a tiger piggy bank outside your sports team, raise your voice, say something, and get people involved. And it doesn't have to be um, something that is a burden. It can be a lot of fun. As Carrie said, it's fun, it's easy, it's cross-boundaries, it, it's, it, you're not going to make political enemies, but you also can raise your voice and talk to your representatives, your congressman, your senator, um, to get on board and look at the the ecosystem health of our planet as a critical part of our human health. Um, so we are about to wrap up here shortly. Um, 
Uh, Sean, let's see. Well, one more question for you, Katie. Are you the power? It sounds like you were the power behind getting the Detroit Tigers to join up with T4T. Is that correct? Yes, yes. I'm the one that, you know, nudged my husband and told him all about this, and he said, let's get going. And then what was so great last year is Max Scherzer, our Cy Young award-winning pitcher, and his fiance, now wife, they just got married in November, Erica, they are both Missouri Tigers. So they, he played softball, he played baseball at Missouri. So they got behind it as well, and they've been um, very, very crucial in supporting this cause as well. So we're hoping to get this big snowball effect going with our whole team. Well, it sounds like you're well on the way. Sean and David, um, tell me a little bit more. You know, Carrie was just telling us that the uh, the actual team members of the Detroit Tigers are in, as in individuals behind uh, saving tigers from extinction. Do you find that the case with most of you, your team members who have tigers for mascots at these schools across the, the country? We're definitely noticing a lot with the athletic departments directly, which is fantastic. Uh, Towson University, Clemson University, um, and a variety of other schools and athletic departments are really rallying up about this cause, you know, filtering that down to their athletes. And I think that's where they're really strong powerhouses, too. So um, I think as, as long as the, par- the, the players start to become aware of the situation, I think they're absolutely going to be fired up about the cause. And, you know, definitely with the athletic support, too, here at Clemson, we've developed a, uh, a jumbotron asset that's displayed to uh, 80,000 fans at each home football game to talk about the stamp. Uh, to stamp out extinction, and I think that's that's a big, you know, supporting effort that that a lot of these athletic departments and their players really do care. It's just making more people aware of the cause. And sometimes it's just finding an an an, an acceptable avenue um, that shares the burden of bringing a new idea to the fore and it sounds like that's what Tigers for Tigers has accomplished in bringing in Cary and uh, the Detroit Tigers and bringing in these 11 schools and bringing in individual students and sports teams members. So before we head out today, I guess the one critical question for uh, conservation is what can be done to drive down the demand for Tiger products and uh, it, it probably goes back to policy questions. What can we do um, as listeners and as individuals to support protecting tigers in the wild, drive down the demand for products, whether it be canned farming, canned hunting, roadsides, um, attractions, or um, the illegal wildlife trade? We touched on that briefly before. Uh, David, how about as, as an ecologist, how about you field that question? Well, um I think in the U.S. we need an appreciation by people that if you love tigers or other wild animals, then you should allow them to be free in the wild. That you know that I think a lot of people feel that they're helping tigers by taking them into their homes. But you know, after a year, they're already a hundred pounds or more, and and they can kill you in a second. And they're unpredictable, and they're carnivores, and, and we don't need people. Uh, owning tigers and there's so many stories of animals being abandoned or killed or uh, unloaded onto well-intentioned people who think they're helping with tigers but they're really contributing to the problem this this consumption of tigers and internationally uh, we do support the Save Vanishing Species stamp and Fish and Wildlife Service efforts we support um, um, Tiger Trust India which works actively in anti-poaching efforts um, and one last point I'll make is that one of the, the greatest exports of the U.S. I've read is our culture, and especially the young people. And if uh, the students in this country get mobilized against 
the use of tigers, consumption of tigers, and so on, then this may play well all over the world in uh, tiger range countries such as China and uh, where, where the tigers are, are killed and used. And, and we hope that maybe this is a long-term solution. Absolutely. I think it's going to be the only long-term solution uh, for our youth and our adults alike and our population to get on board with uh, saving these species. But the flip side of that is we don't live with tigers. Uh, Where tigers live with people in habitats, uh, as we had talked about before, it's not quite so easy. So with climate change and increasing human population, uh, Carrie, you can jump in on this too. What efforts are you doing uh, to Tigers for Tigers? To We've got about three minutes left uh, to uh, work with the cultural mindset on the ground where people live with tigers, which is very, very different than our Western cultural mindset. I don't well, care I, which one of you wants. Okay, Carrie, yeah. go, go for it. <laughs> well, um, we really just jumped in last year to to start talking about the, the stamp, and so I'm probably not the one to talk about um, the cultural part of it. My my only knowledge from that has been speaking with some of the representatives from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and they've uh, you know tried to tell us how they're instead of going into a country and trying to tell them, you must do this, you must do that, they're just trying to make them more aware of what they can do without slaughtering these animals for, you know, their cultural reasons. And so um, I think one of the things that we did in the very beginning is we had some autographed baseballs. And in China, baseball's huge. So we gave them to um, the Wildlife Without Borders representatives who were making a trip to China, and they took these baseballs, autographed baseballs, into these representatives to really open up the conversation, open up the door, because in many ways sports is, there is no border with sports. Um, and so you bring in the baseballs, and they understand baseball, and they love it, and it just opens the door for them. And it's very simple. You know, you, you can't imagine just having an autographed baseball as simple as something like that. But it did go a long way, and it was a, and it was allowed them to get in and really open a dialogue with them in China. What a simple concept, and you said, said that so elegantly. Sports really, <laughs> it, it truly, um, it hadn't quite occurred to me until you articulated it that way, that sports is global. Everyone yes. gets into sports, whether it's baseball, rugby, soccer, mm-hmm. you name it. And um, if we can uh, culturally connect through a, a common uh, activity, sports, then we can... Right. Connect uh, to larger goals. David, is that, and Sean, we've got a couple minutes left. Um, is that how you're working on your trips to India? Do you, uh, do you learn more about the cultural sensitivities and barriers to tiger conservation when you're there? Well, you know, in the, in the villages around the tiger parks, the tigers are just part of the landscape. You know, the, yeah. you know when we first went, I personally was scared taking students into open jeeps into these parks and i was astonished to find children walking to school you know men riding bicycles through the forest people working in the forest no guns no nothing they you know the tigers are just part of the landscape and they're less dangerous than cars are in our communities and and the people keep an eye on them and you know keep their distance and there's no problem just as you know when we come to a road we're cautious of cars and it's 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 not at all what I expected. Uh, there is uh, well, a problem with revenge killing when they kill livestock, and that is a that's a real concern. 
Yeah, and that could make for a whole nother episode. So we're out of time today, but I hope what our listeners gain today from our, our guests, Sean, David, and Carrie, is that you can get involved very easily in supporting your passion and protecting wildlife conservation. And there are so many cross-cultural bridges in order to affect that. And that living with wildlife is uh, dependent upon the population of where the wildlife lives and how we react and we respond to it. So um, as you walk out into our wild world today and you see wildlife out there, remember it is as much a part of our landscape as we are. So at this point, I would really like to thank David, Sean, and Carrie for being our special guests on our wild world today. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you, and we'll see you next week with another episode of Our Wild World. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 